Della, I, I have nothing prepared. I'm, I am here to address whatever you want to talk about. So the floor is yours. I guess since we're recording this, whatever this is, um, you probably ought to use the mic. Jerry, could you just, um, I definitely felt your tempo pick up when you got to the end of your, your talk. Can you kind of go back over the, the apostate church as the harlot, talk about Second Thess 2, 1 through 4 in Revelation and just maybe expand on that a little bit more? If I understand Second Thess 2, there are two things that have to happen before the rapture. One is the apostasy, and two is the revelation of the man of lawlessness, i.e. the Antichrist. Now, most dispensationalists would not agree with that. Most dispensationalists would say, there's nothing that has to happen for the rapture to occur. And they tie that to what they call a doctrine of uh, imminence. I'm personally not persuaded that it's even a doctrine, but um, anyway, that's how I read Second Thess 2, that those two things still have to happen. As to the question of when the man of lawlessness is revealed. Again, if I, if I understand revelation, and that is a very, very big if, there's two, I can see two possible times when he might be revealed. I think the first seal of Revelation 6 is the Antichrist, but I think he appears in a somewhat benign form. I think the second time and so therefore, he will be an ambiguous figure. And he may even be an ambiguous figure to the church. In fact, I'm pretty sure he will be. The second time that he'll be revealed is at the abomination of desolation. In which case, he will be unambiguous. And people will have to, to choose sides. Now, where exactly in Revelation the abomination of desolation takes place. It's, it's not stated. If it, if it is there, it's in cloaked language. But we know from Daniel that it's mid-tribulation. The problem is you have to know when the tribulation starts to calculate mid-trib. So beforehand, you may not know exactly. But once the abomination of desolation takes place, then the calendar becomes pretty precise. And the, uh, the second part of the question had to do with Revelation 17. Yeah, just the, the heart of, as the apostate church. Part time. Expand on that just a little bit more. Yeah. Andy, in, in the Old Testament, God often refers to Israel's idolatry as harlotry having relations with a foreign god. And that's why I think the image of a harlot fits best for an apostate church. And there are certain descriptors that are given of her, including that she pollutes the world with her immorality. 
And that fits with the Christendom piece of, of the harlot. See, it's, it is we in the West and now increasingly in the, in the United States who have invented these, these doctrines about uh, gender, race, LGBTQ, etc. And we are exporting that ideology to the rest of the world. So I have some friends in Hong Kong and periodically I talk to them and they say, what on earth is wrong with you people in the United States? Why, how can you think such things? And so they're upset because it's seeping into Hong Kong and it's seeping into the, the whole of the world and the origin is us. We, 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 we are lapping Europe. Now, particularly in the LGBTQ stuff, they may have us on some other stuff, um, and particularly on the transgender stuff and children. I mean, we, we, we're, the, we're the world beaters in, in that category. Jerry? Jerry? Um, <clears throat> Backtracking a little bit, you said uh, the doctrine which you weren't sure about of imminence? Imminence. Like it, the, he has, his return is imminent. Okay. How do they, how would the, um, the dispensationalist move past the passage about, but first the apostasy? Like how do they maneuver around that because it seems so clear? Yeah, Chris, I... It surprises me, and I have, uh, are you aware of a, a book by Dwight Pentecost called uh, Things to Come? It's a, it's, a, it's a great resource book that you should have, and Pentecost was a, uh, a Dallas seminary prof for many, many years, and he wrote a very, very thorough book on eschatology called Things to Come, and it's, I've never read it from cover to cover because at least for me, it's not that kind of book. It's more of a reference and resource book. Um, but it, I can't remember exactly what he says about that passage. I think he addresses it, but he blows right past it. He makes virtually no comment on it that I can remember. Uh, Scott, can you remember? Yeah, it, it, I was surprised. And I've never seen a, dis a dispensational uh, address of that verse. So I, I don't know. Who wrote that? Dwight Pentecost. He would be a Beg your pardon? He would be a oh, you bet. He is. And, and he, I have nothing but admiration for him. Um, those guys took their Bible seriously and they did some really, really outstanding work. I, I owe those guys a huge debt. Yes, KK. Um, I have another question regarding uh, Revelation 17. So you, you equate the Holot, uh, the uh, Babylon, uh, with the apostate church. Um, um, if, well, I think some of us may embrace the, the uh, doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture, 
So if that's the case, by that time, the seven sails already opened, the seven bowl already casted. So does it mean that the church should no longer be there at the point of Revelation 17? Number one, the, the time of the rapture is not at all clear. If there, if there is a record of that event, of it actually, when, when it happens, if there is, I would suggest to you that it's in, in uh, Revelation 7. Um, we don't have time to, to go through all the machinations of this, but one of the problems you face in Revelation is the problem of chronology. What exactly is the order of events? And it would be very easy to divide the tribulation in half if you just knew when the abomination of desolation is because Daniel tells us that it's in the middle of, the, of that last week. But I'm not aware of at least an undisguised um, mention of the abomination of desolation. And I look at that and I say, holy moly, that, that doesn't make sense. Why, why not give us that piece of information? And I don't really know the answer other than to suggest that the only other way in that I can think of to get a chronology is to go through the rest of the scripture, and it's primarily First and Second Thessalonians, but there are other scriptures as well, that talk about the rapture. And there are certain signs that are associated with the rapture. And you can find those signs in Revelation. The problem is some of them are in the seals and some of them are in the trumpets. And if you're going to make it work, if you're going to get the signs to all line up at the same time, you have to do some trickery with how things unfold. And the trickery is you'd have to say it starts with seal one, trumpet one, seal two, trumpet two, all the way down to the seventh. And if you do that, the prophecies about the rapture do in fact come together. Now, does that mean that's when the rapture is? And that's, parenthetically, that is roughly mid-tribulation. It's right about the time of the two witnesses being killed in chapter 11. Sounds like a big project to line all these events up. <laughs> We've got nothing but time on our hands, right? Uh, one more question. You had started talking about the the apostate church as the harlot, and you touched quickly on the, the kings and the beast uh, will make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. Is that is that just you referencing the end of the church, where where the church lukewarm, as you mentioned, and true believers, just the persecution that's going to come. Is yeah. that what you're referencing, or is it something else? Yes, the ten kings, I think, correspond to the ten toes in Daniel 2's statue. 
And Revelation tells us that at the end time, the Antichrist is going to make some sort of treaty with these ten kings, and they will have a common purpose. And among those purposes is the destruction of Christians and Christendom. Remember, guys, that the cultural Marxists had two targets in mind, Christianity and Western civilization. Western civilization is, in effect, Christendom. They hate them both, and so they go after both. Hey, uh, Jerry, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Dorgan has a YouTube on pre-wrath. I am familiar. I don't know if you'd endorse that or have some um, differences of opinion. Yeah, I've listened to what he did, and I, I, it's very admirable, and I think he's done a very, very commendable job. He lines up the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, with uh, Revelation, which I think is, I, I think that is a, the right way to do it. Um, I probably would quibble with him over a few things, but I, I definitely commend that series. Paul Dorgan, D-O-R-G-A-N. He's a Tucson guy who I've never met. So, uh, quick question. What will be the role and the position where we talk about rapture and, and uh, Marxism targeting Christianity, what will be the role of the Jewish nation during this time? What, what's, what's, we talk about Christianity, but what about that part of it? Do you have a Bible there? Go to Daniel chapter 9. And read verses 24 to 27. Twenty-four to twenty-seven. A period of seventy set of seven has been decreed. A period of seventy sets. Let, let, let me read it. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. That's Jerusalem. That's Israel. Okay? Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So he's talking about 69 weeks. So there's a decree given to rebuild Jerusalem. That's given in Nehemiah 2, I believe it is. Um, and if you calculate, which has been done, there's a guy, Harold Horner, 
H-O-E-H-N-E-R, has written a book about this. And you do the calculation because they know the time that that decree was given. And when you do the calculation, you find that Jesus' triumphal entry is the day that this 69 uh, weeks or 493 years to the day is his triumphal entry. So that's all past. It's all been done. So until Messiah the Prince, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So there's gonna be turmoil while they're rebuilding. Then after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince of the city who is to come will, the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. Okay, so death of Jesus. And then he will make a firm covenant with them for one week. That's the 70th week. So there's this gap of time between the death of Jesus and this second coming. So there's seven, that means for Israel, there are seven more years left. And during that time, it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, for seven years. That's the last year of Daniel's 70 weeks. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is to be poured out on one who makes desolate. So this abomination of desolation is the desecration of the uh, temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus refers to this in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. This is verse 15 of Matthew 24. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, whoever is on the housetop, etc." So Jesus references this mid-tribulation event of the abomination of desolation. So it's an important event. So there's seven years left, and in this seven years, this tribulation period, there is a transition, in my opinion, let me back up and give you the official version. The official version, dispensational version says that the rapture is before the tribulation begins. And when that happens, <clears throat> it's the end of the time of the Gentiles and it is only Jewish from there on. I'm disinclined to believe that. I tend to think there is a more of a transition time and that trans transition time is within that the seven weeks or the seven years of the tribulation. And so there is a, there's a gradual transition from Gentiles to Jew in that time, I think. So as a follow-up, specifically when you <coughs> talked about the Antichrist uh, coming in agreement with the 10 kings to, uh, <coughs> to attack the Christian nation, is there any mention of the Jewish nation at that time? Oh, in, in the, the, seven, the, the tribulation is primarily Jewish. a Jewish event. And what it is doing, 
it is again moving from Gentile to Jew and lining up the enemies of Israel who come to force and converge around Jerusalem. Armies from the north, armies from the east, armies from the south, and the Antichrist from the west, all converging on Israel or on Jerusalem, at which time Christ returns and wipes them out. There, there are a series of judgments. You can read about some of them in Matthew 25. And the millennial kingdom is established on earth wherein Jesus sits on the throne of David. And the promises of the Old Testament to Israel that are yet unfulfilled get fulfilled in that millennium. Jerry, let me change gears for a second. During the presentation, I just missed something you said, I think. In, in the St. Peter's Basilica, right, uh, there's that Pieta. And you said someone that didn't, that refused to bow to it. Uh, Jesus. Jesus is offered the kingdoms of the world. Okay. Okay. And he yeah. said no. When he's tempted. When he's tempted. And that set him on course for the cross. And my suggestion is, we all have to do the same thing. We have to renounce the kingdoms of the world and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you with all my being. But you know when you do that, you're going to live a life of self-denial because it's not your life. And our highest aspiration is to become his obedient slave. Man, if you get there, if you become a real obedient slave, that's the top of the heap. Thanks for talking with me earlier. <coughs> Offline, appreciate that. Um, uh, I live in, a, uh, in Utah, it's a LDS, Latter-day Saint context. Um, one of their main uh, pitches is uh, the church is apostate uh, for the last um, 1,800 years, and then Joseph Smith brought the, the real church and established it. So their big pitch is apostasy and apostate. In my um, Christian background, I, I rare, rarely, if not never, heard the word apostasy or apostate, um, but obviously your presentation talked about it a lot. Uh, could you give me some verbiage on how to uh, reconcile their um, their pitch that the church is apostate, and you are also saying um, to some degree it's apostate. Um, what could be some conversation points I could have in that? Does that make sense? Well, I would say they are absolutely dead on right. I, I would say a secularist who said the same thing would be right. It, it's a, at least in my judgment, it's a command of the obvious that we are apostate. My gosh, I, let me just tell you a story. This is from 10, 12 years ago. I'm having lunch with a young guy. He's in his 20s. And he said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I said, oh, that's great. Tell, tell me about what's going on in your life. He says, well, you know, my girlfriend's pregnant. We've been living together for, you know, the last year and a half, and she's pregnant, and we're thinking about getting married. And I, I said to him, do you know that what you're doing is a sin? 
And he was furious with me. It never, he said it never occurred to him. And how dare I? And that was 10, 12 years ago. And it's been nothing but downhill since then. Gentlemen, if you, if you go to Romans chapter 1 and you read from verse 18 to the end of that chapter, I suggest to you that what God is doing is he is giving us the moral and spiritual outline of the descent of the human race. See, we, our culture believes in what I would call the myth of progress, that we're getting better and better, et cetera, et cetera. If I read Romans 1 correctly, morally and spiritually, we are getting worse. So there are three givings over in that chapter. In chapter 24, he gives people over to their sexual desires. But in, chap- in verses 26 and 27, there's another giving over to sexual desires, but this time it's homosexual for both men and women. So we move from immorality for heteros to immorality for homos, and now in 28, verse 28 of that chapter, God gives us over to a depraved mind. I suggest that that's where we are as a culture. We have a depraved mind. That doesn't mean that we cannot think. It means that we've lost the capacity to use our mind for the purpose for which it was given, which is to know God. And we deploy our mind these days not to know God, but to fulfill our lustful desires, as Ray was talking about this morning. So, the Mormons are right as rain. Couldn't agree more with them on that subject. But as I said, that didn't take an astute observer to get there. It's pretty obvious. You guys look as bad as I feel. our approach to that I wanted to discuss something with you that I've experienced and have been educated to and um, I was fortunate enough to be part of a it was a corporate speech at a, a convention and it was a, a civilization anthropologist and I think this is part of God's plan <coughs> and it kind of describes the human condition part of our fallen nature is he said you can go back in time to every advanced civilization from the Incas the Mayas the Greeks, the Romans, every civilization has, you know, as God says, the beginning and end, and it's, it's predictable. It happens every single time you have a nation that starts out hungry, and they, they're all working towards survival and, and, and a good outcome, and they get to a point, and he, he used the, the, dollars, the, the, the numbers on a clock. It's about 9 o'clock, the civilization starts changing from progressing to being one to be entertained and to be pleasured. And they'd work less and they wanted to, and he said, you can trace this back to every major civilization. And he said, if you want to see the fall of a, co- a country, just look at this. And he said, America's there. He said, we care more, and that's what the church always is the victim of this. You know, all those rules and the things that keep us disciplined 
and keep us focusing on progress, they become thrown out. People don't want to be told what they should do. They don't want to be, have authority over them. They want to have pleasure and entertainment. And that is, I think, it's not a mechanism of God, but it's God showing us this is kind of fits into this whole picture of how you see these nations coming forward. And the interesting thing is, we said earlier, the U.S. is the one who is falling drastically. I talked to my friends in Denmark and and in, and in, uh, and in Eastern Europe, and, and they think we've lost our minds. They're like, how can you not know what a woman is? It's just insane. They said, what's the matter with you guys? Well, we're, we're going down quicker. I, I mean, it's easier to be a Christian in Denmark, one of the most secular companies, countries in the world. They still have, it's a state church. Every citizen still gives to the church. And because they're post-Christian, we're under the radar there. I can go to church there, and there's no one telling us what we can and can't think of. There's no pressure. Here, it's, it's insane compared to that. Complete. We're on a faster track to disaster than most of the world is right now. Agreed. And we're exporting it. We're exporting it. There are, there are progressive countries that are mad at us because we're going too far. Agreed. Jim, let me read you a couple of verses out of Judges. It's Judges chapter 3, I believe. Yeah, lucky guess, Jerry. Revelation, uh, Judges 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. Now, catch this. Only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war. Those who had not experienced it formally. That's what you're talking about. We've grown soft, and we don't know how to fight. We don't know how to fight spiritually. And we're just easy pickings for the enemy. So gentlemen, that's why, <clears throat> that's why I ended this morning with a call for soldiers. We need men who will stand up for the faith and fight. And that means doing what we should have been doing all along, taking care of business personally, and giving the faith away. It's not changing the culture. Man, that ship has sailed. And our problems are spiritual, not political. And spiritual problems do not lend themselves to political solutions. It's got nothing to do with who you vote for. God, you, you and I cast our ballots, but God picks the president and everybody else. So go ahead and cast your ballots. But if that's where your hope is, you're going to be disappointed. No mas? All right, guys. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the time.